in today. wonder if we could turn in our Bibles um, to the epistle of James and to the chapter 4. We're reading from verse 1 of the chapter. James uh, chapter 4, beginning our reading at verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? Ye lust and have not. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God uh, resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his word afresh. Let's Unite in a word of prayer, please. Our gracious and our loving God, as we enter into thy presence today, we do thank thee for the word of God to our hearts. We thank thee for the blessing that it brings to us. And we want to draw nigh to thee today. And we thank thee that thou hast promised to draw nigh to us. Lord, Come to here, we pray, and bless us abundantly. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen. Amen. The text there is verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And verse 9, to be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. There are two things that every Christian needs. We need to see more and more of the face of God, and we need to see more and more of the back of the world and the flesh and the devil. And the wonderful thing is that we can have both things. Both things are possible. And James tells us here about the effects of the world and the flesh and the devil. He mentions the same categories that he mentions in Ephesians 3 and also in the book of Romans, uh, the great enemies of the child of God, the world and the flesh and the devil. And he opens here in James 4 and he says, from whence come wars and fightings among you, come they not hence even of your lusts. There are the lusts of the flesh. And one of the symptoms of the flesh is that selfishness that causes us to fight and to war and brings all sorts of 
untoward activity into our lives. And then you have the mention of the world. If you look at verse 4, he says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity there with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And we think of the world system and the world fashions and the world trends and the world philosophy that is against God and against the things of God. And the Lord says that we shouldn't be a friend of the world. And then in verse 7, we have a mention of the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But I want you to see that there in that verse, not only is the dimension of the great enemy, the devil, but really here James is explaining the path as to how we contend with these things. Uh, James contrasts the wrong path of following the world and the flesh and the devil with the right path. Look at verse 6. He says, But he giveth more grace. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And then we are to humble ourselves in the sight of God. If you look at verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore unto God. And then he says, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So there is the solution to the great war against the world and the flesh and the devil. It is humbling ourselves in the sight of God. And really then, in our text, he summarizes the whole thing. He says that if we're going to uh, be in this battle, then the thing that we need to do is draw nigh to God. And he says, if we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to us. And we need to draw near. And every child of God must want that blessing of being in the presence of God. And we need to be uh, in that conversation with God and that walk with God as we traverse the pathway of life. And we think of those in the Bible of whom it says that they walk with God. In the book of Genesis 5, chapter 5, it says that Enoch walked with God. And then in the very next chapter, we read that Noah walked with God. And what a lovely phrase that is to describe the Christian life. The Christian is not one that slavishly follows law or rules or liturgy, but his relationship is a personal relationship with God. We draw nigh to God and he draws nigh to us. There is that communion and there is that walk with God that we need day by day. And the closer we are to God, so the closer he draws near to us. We think of how Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. And we need to align our priorities and our desires and our thoughts and our behaviors with what he prescribes in his words. And so James put it succinct, puts it succinctly. He says, just draw nigh to God. But I want us just to think about what that means. He's saying that this is the way to fight against the world and the flesh and the devil. This is the way to walk with God, to draw nigh to God. But what does that mean in our lives practically and 
uh, realistically. What does it mean for us to draw nigh to God? Well, firstly, I want you to see that it means a closeness with God. If you draw near to somebody, it means that you're going to be closer to them. And you'll notice that this is an exhortation or a command here. It's not an option that we are given. The Lord is instructing us here to draw near to him. As the great shepherd, he knows that it's always better for the sheep, for his sheep to be nearer to him, to be under his eye, to be under his superintendence, to be under his protection and security. It's always better for the sheep of the flock to be near the shepherd. And so it is that he wants to draw us near to the great shepherd of the sheep. But I want you to see what that instruction means. What does it mean that we draw near to God? What is this closeness that we are to have? Well, first of all, it's got to mean salvation. You know, our sins have separated between us and our God. So if we're going to draw near to God, if we're going to be in the presence of God, our sin, first of all, has got to be dealt with. You know what it says in Isaiah 59 and 2, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So there are times when it seems as if the Lord is not hearing, and the problem is sin, all of sin, and comes short of the glory of God. You remember how that when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, God set the cherubim with the flaming swords in order to guard the way into the presence of God. And we cannot come nigh to God in our sin. Our sin has got to be dealt with. So when God says, draw nigh to me, that's the first thing. You've got to be under the blood. You've got to be washed in his precious blood today. And the uh, Lord imputes his righteousness to those that trust in him. And so today, you can draw nigh to God through Christ. You can draw nigh to God by being washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. But that's the very first thing and the foundational thing. You've got to be saved. You've got to be washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. But then, not only will closeness to God or drawing nigh to God here mean salvation, but it means society. It indicates fellowship. And the Lord wants to have fellowship with his people. And we see here that this is a text that can, as I've just done, apply to sinners. Draw nigh to God. And you need, if you're a sinner, to draw near to God. But I want you to remember that the text here is not written uh, directly to sinners. It's direct, it is written to the uh, people of God here. And James is addressing God's people. And he says to his people, draw nigh to God. And that obviously implies that there are times when we as God's people are not near to God. And you know that, and I know that. We know that there are godly people, and you would say that that's a person who's very near to God. That's a person who lives in the presence of God. And then there are other of God's people, and maybe they have backslidden and gotten away from God. And you can see that they're not living close to God. They're not living near to him. And we can see that there are times, and maybe uh, as we go through life, it mightn't be a, a prolonged period of backsliding, 
But you will know if you're saved today that there are times when it feels and seems as if you're nearer to God than at other times. And so the uh, uh, apostle here, he's saying to God's people, there are times maybe you've withdrawn from God, your hand has slipped out of the hand of God, you have uh, lost contact with God through your sin or through your selfishness or whatever it is, and you need to draw near and you need to hear his voice and you, know, you need to know his presence in that special way. We think of how the word of God many times urges God's people to draw near. The psalmist in Psalm 73 verse 28 says, But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord I, that I may declare all thy works. The writer to the Hebrews says, Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So the constant uh, desire and exhortation of the word of God is that as God's people, we do not draw away from God, but that we come near to him. In the Old Testament dispensation, the high priest was able to go in once a year, but now, because of Calvary, we as God's people have the blessed privilege of entering into the presence of God day by day and moment by moment. I wonder today, can you say that I am near to God, that I am near to him, that I am hearing his voice and knowing his blessing? And, you know, uh, as we come, uh, we need that fellowship. We need to listen, and we listen by looking in the word of God. We hear him by delving into the precious word of God. And then we need to speak to him. We need to bring our desires to the Lord. But I wonder if we've been listening in the word. Have we been in the presence of God? So this closeness here that is described involves salvation and it involves society or fellowship. And then it also involves sentiment or feeling because if you draw near to somebody, um, you will have usually some feeling for them. You will like them. You will be attracted to them in some level. You will want to draw. You'll be interested in them. And usually when we draw near to somebody, it indicates some kind of fellow feeling. We're, we're drawing near to ask them about themselves or to ask them about their family or to ask them about uh, how they're getting on or whatever it is. But usually when we draw near to somebody, it is because of that relationship that we have with them. And we think of how in our worship we draw near to God. We come by way of listening to him in the word. We come by way of prayer, drawing near and bringing our petitions to God. But we also draw near to God by our worship. We draw near to God as we come into his presence. But we need to worship him in spirit and in truth. Fake worship and going through the motions and just going through a, a ritual 
is not what is drawing nigh to God. It's not something that is real drawing near to God. And I hope that as we've come today in our worship, that we have sought with all our hearts to draw near to God. We just didn't come to listen to a sermon or just come along to uh, uh, go through the motions or let our face be seen in the church, but rather that as we've come today, that there has been that desire to look up to God and to give thanks to God for all his mercies that he's given to us. And it's not a matter of pretense, it's a matter of reality. If we're drawing near to God, it's got to be real. You think of what it says in Isaiah 29 and verse 13. It says, when the Lord said, wherefore, uh, the Lord said, for as much as this people draw near, uh, draw near me with their mouth, and their lips do honor me, but they have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. He said, they draw near with their mouth, but their heart's far away. And if we're going to draw near to God, then our heart's got to be in it. Our heart's got to be in it. And we've got to draw near with a full heart. Something else that this closeness will involve is security. When we draw near to God, we're drawing into the presence of the Lord of hosts, the powerful and almighty God. And we are there in the presence of God, and one of the blessings of being there is that God is able to safeguard us from our enemies. You think of the Psalm 46, and although we're in the greatest of trouble, the earth shakes and the uh, uh, sea is uh, roaring and so on. Nevertheless, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, Selah. And by what a wonderful thing it is to have that confidence that we're in the presence of God. Isaiah 25 and 4 says, For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. And you know, in these days when many are against the things of God, and when the world is antagonistic, my, don't we need to draw near to God? Don't we need to know his presence and his shelter and his security? And we need to rest in the sheltering arms of God. Something else that this uh, closeness will involve, and we're going to call this similarity. And I mean by that, that when you draw near to somebody and when you spend time in their presence, uh, more, the more time you spend in their presence, the more like them you become the more the similarity increases. And I remember this stands out in my mind, going along to, uh, with my mom, mother years ago to see her aunt and uncle, my great aunt and uncle. And uh, my uncle had a peculiar expression. I, for the life of me, I can't remember what it was. But I'd never heard anybody use the expression but him. Well, that's... Uh, not just right, because the other person that used the expression was my great aunt. You see, she had taken his expressions and she began to use the expressions. And I know 
that I will do things uh, like my father did, and I will say things like my wife does, and I'm sure probably she says things the way that I do as well. You see, when you live with somebody, you become more and more like them. And we want to be like the Savior. It says in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And as we draw near to God, then we become more and more like our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So there is a closeness to God here that uh, we want in drawing nigh to God. But then I want you to notice in the text, there is a cleanness before God. Because the text goes on, he says here in the verse 8, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And again, this is a text that could be directed to sinners, and we want you, if you're not saved, you need, you need your, your heart cleansed. You need to be cleansed in the precious blood of the Lamb. But remember again that this is not addressed uh, directly to sinners. This is uh, those that are washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. And he says then, we need our hands cleansed and our hearts purifying. You say, well, what's the meaning of this? Uh, well, we think of the, the verse here, and we recognize that as God's people, we are cleansed. We are washed. Our sins are washed away in the precious blood of the Lamb. And all of our sins, past, present, and future, are cleansed. But that's our position as far as God is concerned. But then we think of our state before God. And that is that we do sin day by day. And as we go about our business, we are defiled by the things of the world. And I think the illustration of what is meant here really is you could go to the Old Testament tabernacle or the temple. And when the priests came in, there were the sacrifices that spoke of the cleansing. But as the priests came into the temple or into the tabernacle, there was a thing called the laver, which was really a big bath. Well, it was a, big, it was a bigger one in uh, the um, uh, temple than there was in the tabernacle. But at the, uh, at the laver, the priests would wash their hands and their feet so that they were ceremonial, ceremonially clean to enter into the presence of the Lord. They got all the dust and the defilement off them so that they could enter into the presence of the Lord. And that's what needs to happen. We need to be cleansed. But you think of the hands. He says here, cleanse your hands. The hands speak of our actions. They speak of what we do. We work with our hands and our actions and what we do. Those things need to be cleansed day by day. You think of the Lord Jesus when he washed the feet of the disciples. Really, it's the same thing. And you remember how Peter said to the Lord, don't wash my hands or my feet. And the Lord said to him, well, if you, I don't wash your hands and your feet, uh, you have no part with me. And um, the, uh, uh, Peter said, not my feet only, but my whole body. And the Lord said to him, he said, uh, 
he, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. And what he meant by that is, you are cleansed, but you need the washing of your hands and your feet. And that's the same with us. We come to God, we are cleansed if we're saved. Our sins are forgiven. But we need to come day by day and have our hands and our actions and the things that we do, they need to be cleansed. And then not only is there the outward actions that need to be cleansed, but there's the inward affections. He says, purify your hearts, ye double-minded. And the reference to a double mind there is a a reference to the divided mind. It's like the uh, people in Elijah's day, and Elijah said to them, How long halt ye between two opinions? And they were divided in their hearts. Some These people here, sometimes they loved the world and they were running after the world and running after themselves. And sometimes they were loving the Lord and they were doing the things that God wanted them to do. And sometimes they were doing what uh, were obedient to God and sometimes they were failing the Lord. Isn't that a description of many of us? Our hearts are double-minded and we need to be purified of the double-mindedness. We need to be all out for God. We need to be serving the Lord with all of our hearts and souls and minds and strength. So we see the meaning of cleansing, but what's the means of it? Well, the Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can't get cleanliness by our own. Only through the grace of God can we find this cleansing? And men, women, we cannot just come to God any old way if we're harboring sin. We need to draw near to God and we need that cleansing that the Lord gives to uh, us through his grace. But I think of what Paul said in 1 Timothy 2 and 8. He said, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. We come to God with cleansing. So in order to draw near to God, there needs to be cleansing before God, cleanliness before God. But then there's a third thing that is needed for drawing near to God, and that is concern for the things of God. Look at what he says now. Look at verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. That's a peculiar verse, isn't it? And it's all the more peculiar uh, because James speaks of joy. If you turn to the start of his epistle, he speaks to these people who were refugees. They were scattered abroad and they were um, having to flee from their old homes. But look at what he says in verse 2 of the epistle. My brethren, he says, count it all joy. When ye fall into diverse temptations. And he's exhorting joy. He's saying, be joyful. And we know that that's something that through the Bible is to be true of God's people. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He wrote to the Thessalonians and he said, rejoice evermore. So the Christian life is to be a life of joy. 
Uh, but here he speaks about, uh, he, he seems to, he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. So what's this about? Well, I want you to think about the laughter here. What James is referring to when he speaks about these people is people who are really laughing at sin, who are making light of sin. They were treating sin as a light thing. They were uh, uh, maybe laughing at the old stick-in-the-months who were living holy lives, and they were treating all of these things lightly. And this is not a prohibition on laughter, and it's certainly not a prohibition on joy or having a little bit of fun. That's not what he means here. But what he is condemning is those that make light of sin. And sin is not a laughing matter. You know, most of what the world laughs at is sin. You get the comedians, and they're laughing mainly at uh, sin and sin in the world. We're not to join in with their laughter. But there are, while we are joyful, there are things that we treat seriously. We treat sin seriously. We treat the sin of our fellow. We treat our own sin seriously, first of all. We treat our own waywardness uh, with a seriousness. And then we think about our fellows, and we think of what sin is doing to our friends and doing to our family, doing to those that are outside of Christ, and that's a serious matter. That's not to be treated lightly. And then we think of the sin in the world, the awful laws that are being foisted upon us. We think of the effects of drugs and alcohol. We think of the problems and all that has taken place and the poverty and the misery that has been put upon this world because of sin. And that's something that God's people don't laugh about. We treat it seriously. And you know, there are many today of the stamp of Joel Osteen who preach a message that's always upbeat and always uh, something. Uh, we, Joel Osteen will tell people that he wants to encourage people. People, He says, know that they're sinners, so he doesn't need to tell them that they're sinners because uh, they know it, and what he needs to do is encourage them. Well, I want you to see that that's not James's attitude here. He says, there are times when we need to weep and mourn. There, needs to be, there are times when our joy needs to be turned to heaviness. We, we don't just uh, treat everything lightly because we are the children of God. There are things that are being treated seriously. And what he said here that if we draw near to God, there are things that we need to treat seriously. David said, My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say to me, Where is thy God? And in the face of the mockery of the heathen, David was, David was uh, tearful. He was weeping. And you know, tears are not going to be alien to a person that draws near to God. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. So, drawing near to God will involve concern about the things of God. Well, one more thing very briefly. Drawing near to God will, enjoy, will involve confidence in God. You'll notice what the text says. Draw nigh to God, and what? He will draw nigh to you. Now there's a wonderful truth, 
And it's a truth, of course, that runs through the whole of the Bible. In Second Chronicles 15 and 2, it says, The Lord is with you while ye be with him. And if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. That's the same truth. Or we read again in Malachi 3 and 7, Return unto me, the Lord says, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Now, what a wonderful encouragement that is, that if we draw near to God, if we come nigh to God, we will enjoy something of his presence. That's the promise. You'll notice that it was a promise that was given. But do you notice that it is a promise given to those that have failed? You'll notice here that these people to whom he's giving the promise had drawn away from God. These people had failed. These people had treated sin lightly. These are people who had uh, laughed at sin, made a mockery of sin. And maybe you would say, well, there's a person uh, that doesn't deserve God to draw near to him. How could a person like that have God draw near to him? And yet these are the very people that God is giving this promise to. You've failed me. You've drawn away from me. You've lost contact with me. But draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You're never so far away that God cannot reach you. You're never so far gone that God cannot lift you up. He is there. It's like the prodigal son who was in the far country and spent all the money that his father gave him and left himself in poverty. And yet when he went back home, his father ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. We have a wonderful God. And no matter how far you've gone, and deep down in sin you may have been, and you might have laughed at sin and made a mockery of sin, and you had despised the things of God, and you wonder how God could deal with you. What does he say? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. And oh, today, if you have drawn away, and you've lost the presence of God, will you draw near? Draw near. Draw near with a full heart, in full assurance of faith, and God will meet you there. He will meet you there at the point of your need. Let's just bow, please, in a word of prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father in heaven, we do thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts afresh. We thank thee for the wonderful promise made to people who had drawn away from thee, made to people who had failed. Oh God, we have failed. Lord, we thank thee that thou hast said, if we draw nigh to God, that he will draw nigh to us. Bless thy word to every heart now. Part us in thy fear and blessing, and be with us throughout this day. Bless in the meeting tonight, and draw near to our hearts, and save precious souls. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Um, the hymn is um, 637. Here from the world we turn Jesus to seek. Here may his loving voice.
tenderly speak. And we'll sing verses 1 and 3 of the hymn 637. loving God and our gracious Father, be with us now and bless us as we go our separate ways, give safety as we travel. It's in Jesus' precious name that we'd ask these things. Amen. Amen.